it is human to assume that all of us deserve a good life. And I think that's most, what most of us think. That's by nature, if you're not thinking about this, automatically we think we deserve good life. This is why we complain when there's a traffic jam. Why? Because we believe we deserve no traffic when we go to work. Especially when we're late, surely there shouldn't be any traffic. Surely there shouldn't be red lights one after another. It should be just green. We are late. But we think we deserve that. And when we are disappointed with the doctor's diagnosis, or when we, we go for our annual blood test or whatever test we do, and then we get the bad result, you know, we're angry, we're disappointed. All of that comes because we expect that we deserve good life. If you don't expect good life, if, if we, when, when you drive out to work and you, if you expect it's going to be a miserable day, I'm going to be late for work because traffic is going to be bad, for every traffic light, I'm going to get red. If that's what you expect, you're not going to be disappointed. You say, well, oh, there's a green. You, you'll be praising God for one green light. We're disappointed often because we expect that we deserve good life. Is that what the Bible teaches us, though, that we deserve good life? Well, this belief is universal. It doesn't matter where you live. It's, it's not just Aussies, uh, just because, you know, we, we're spoiled. Uh, we live in Australia, and then we, we expect things to work. When we switch on the tap, we expect, you know, drinkable water to come out, unlike where I come from, when, when, when you know, country where I come from, I grew up in. When we turn on the tap, sometimes it could be brown water that comes out. Um, so it's universal, regardless of where you live. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. We, we have this tendency to expect we deserve good life. Is that what the Bible teaches? That's what we're going to look at today. Oftentimes, because of that, we've taken uh, the good in this life, in this present age, for granted. And that's what we're going to look at. Last week, we looked at Daniel 11, which is one of the hardest chapter in the entire Bible. If you weren't here, it's, it's recorded, so you can listen to that. Uh, go to our Facebook page or our YouTube. We are reminded in Daniel 11 that God's people are meant to be encouraged when the bad news were given. So Daniel 11, a lot of bad news. Um, the angel told Daniel that your people are going to struggle, you're going to suffer, and it's going to get worse and really bad. And we are meant to be encouraged, to be lifted up by that message. And we learn, how can such bad news, seemingly bad news, be an encouragement? So that's what we look at. How could it be an encouragement when, when it is bad news? We say it is an encouragement because it is not the end yet. That's not the end of the story. It's like any movie that you go to. If it's all good all the way from the beginning till the end, it's boring. Even kids' movies have a twist where, you know, the hero broke the leg. It's like, oh, I can't play hockey anymore. And, you know, your, your main scorer is now out. You're going to lose. But then there's a twist, right? You know the good will come through at the end. And it's good news because we know it's not the end. That's what we learned last week. In, there's a saying that says, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay yet, that means it's not the end. So look at your life right now. Is everything beautiful and okay? The Bible says, everything will be beautiful and okay in the end. If it's not, then you know it is not the end yet. You may seem hopeless right now, whatever situation that you're in. The Bible says it's not the end yet. Today in Daniel 12, we're going to take that a little bit further in the idea of the end, right? So the heading in your, in your Bible, you would have, you have, I mean, Alex read that. It says the time of the end. So we're going to get a glimpse of that time of the end. What does it look like? What does it mean? the time 
of the end. Just a little bit of information, when you read heading like that in the Bible, it's not the Word of God, it's just there to help us. Uh, some Bibles don't even have that heading. Uh, other translations have different kind of headings. It's just meant to help us to understand what it's about. But that's not the Word of God. Just don't get confused with that, okay? Because if you look at different translations, it might say a different thing. So today we're going to look at that, what, how the end look like by looking at two different things. First one, the uncertainties of present suffering. So that's the first thing we're going to look at, the uncertainties of present suffering. And then we're going to close on the second thing, that is the certainty of future hope. So there's this balance of the uncertainty of the current suffering that we are facing right now, but at the same time, there's this hope of certainty of the future hope that, we, that the Bible guarantees for us. So the uncertainty of present suffering. So let's look at verse 1 of Daniel 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, if, if you read this, i give you a moment to read this again, other screen or your Bible. If you read this carefully, we should be satisfied if we understand what this verse means. This should help us go through any kind of suffering in this life. This very first year, and we could just close and go home. If you highlight your Bible, if you're the highlighter kind of person that like to highlight and scribble your Bible, you would want to highlight and bold and underline this verse because this is the hope. At that time, points to a time of great tribulation. And it points to Daniel 11, you know, the bad news, the suffering that's going to get worse. This is that time. At that time, it says, that is Daniel 11, verse 36 onwards, when the Antichrist, the king, you know, the, the king will rise, the Antichrist will rise. This is that time. It's a time of greatest turbulation, verse 11 says, that the world has ever seen. It's not just any bad time, not just any war, not just any suffering, if you can think of the worst thing that could happen times one million times of that, is that time. The Bible says it is time of trouble such as never been seen there was, since the, there was a nation till that time. This is a bad time, the greatest tribulation the world has ever seen. At the same time, in the same verse, it says it's also a time of hope. Your people shall be delivered. Yes, it's going to be bad, but you shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Today, we're living in that time. Daniel wasn't living in that time. When he say, and at that time, Daniel looking forward. But we are at that time right now. We are at that time. We're living in that time. And if you think life is full of struggle and suffering for you, if you believe this verse, it says this. It's going to get worse. Uh, I guess you didn't hope, uh, you didn't think that you're going to come to church and be told that. Like, man, my life is already miserable. You're going to tell me that it's going to get worse? Well, that's what the Bible says. You're going to get worse. Um, at least going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But there's hope, right? Therefore, in a sense, we're not supposed to expect to live a good life or our best life now. That's one part of it. The Bible says, don't expect that when you go to work, all the traffic light going to be green, that you're, gonna, you're not going to have a traffic jam or all your career going to be smooth and all the way up. Young people, especially, you know, your dreams, you know, when you, when you grow up, your dreams like, I'm going to be the best, whatever your field in, the field that you're in. You're going to be the best. And then five years in, you're going to start, like, doubting, like, well, am I going to get there? Ten years in, 
It's like, maybe I'm not going to get there. Let me just settle for something less. You might get disappointed, but the Bible gives us hope that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that is what the promise of God, that the better, when, when you get there, at the end, you will forget all the pain and suffering, all the disappointments in your life. Someone once said, a moment with God at the end, will, you will forget hundreds and thousands of years of pain and suffering. You will just forget that. You, you don't even remember that it ever happened to you. So in a sense, we are not supposed to expect to live a good life or best life now at this moment. Don't expect it. Okay? And this opening verse is the summary of the entire book of Daniel, and especially this chapter is the summary of it. And it prepares us by saying this. Life is going to get hard, real hard, the hardest the world has ever seen, but deliverance will come. Deliverance will come to those whose name are written in the book. This is a spoiler, isn't it? Like if you watch a movie and, and at the beginning it tells you this, you're going to get disappointed. It's like, oh, man, that's a spoiler. This is a huge spoiler. There's, um, imagine going to a movie with someone who already seen it next to you, sitting next to you and tell you how it's going to end. This is, this is it. This is a spoiler. It tells you how it's going to end. Um, some, someone wants to uh, tell, tell a joke about spoiler. He said, my grandfather, my grandfather, um, he's very brave. He, told, he, he said to people that Titanic, you know, Titanic, people are going to die. You're going to crash. You're going to die. And, um, but he, he, people don't believe. He just keep persisting, though. He, he said, my grandfather is, um, is a very brave man. He keep persisting. Until, of course, they keep, kick him out of the cinema. <laughs> so he's basically telling people in the cinema that, you know, this is, this is the end. Everyone's going to die. Um, this is it. This is, this is a spoiler for us. This is our life. Another thing you notice in verse 1 is the book. Who's going to be safe at the end? Who's going to be delivered? Not everyone, right? Do you see that? Not everyone's going to be delivered. So there's this belief that say. If God is love, everyone's going to be safe. It's fine whether you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter how you live your life. God is God. God is love. Everyone going to be safe. Everyone going to be fine. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says only those whose name are written will be delivered. So there are people, in a sense, if you read in that way, who will not be delivered. So what is this book? What is this book? Uh, that is so important and that where you, want, you really want to have a sneak peek whether your name is on it or not. Well, it says this. Um, well, let, let me jump to what Jesus say in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. So this is Jesus sent out 72 disciples to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And the 72 people, disciples, when they return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like, falls like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. What Jesus is saying is this. You will be Receiving a glimpse will experience a glimpse of success in your life, a sense of power, sense of control in your life, that you're doing well, like the 72. But Jesus say, I've given you that power, yet Jesus says, do not rejoice in that. If you want to rejoice, rejoice in this, that the saints are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the book of life. Regardless of the ups and downs of life, do not be, in, in a sense, give us, Jesus say, if you're successful, if you're doing well in your life, Jesus said, I've given that to you. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written in the book of life. 
When disciples were rejoicing, Jesus told them, there is a greater joy, everlasting joy, not joy that you get when you get promoted, when you're graduated, when, when, when you have a new boyfriend or girlfriend. Not, you know, those things will not last. Jesus said, there's something that is greater that will last. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Some, there are three groups of people when it comes to this. The first one is people feel that life, life is good. Life shouldn't be full of struggles and pain. They believe science and technology and advancement of medical will ease all the pain, will solve all the problems of this world. There are those group of people who are extremely optimists. Um, however, when you believe in such things, you will get mad, you will get grumpy when you fail. When life disappoints you, when you realize the sickness that you have has no cure yet, you'll get grumpy, you get mad either at someone, at yourself, or even at God, if you expect that life is good. But there's another kind of people who expect life is bad, man, like these are the, you know, negative kind of people, like, man, life, life is bad. What are you talking about? It's just very negative. <clears throat> people like this, often miserable. They just look at half empty glass all the time. Never half full. Always half empty. Life is miserable um, because they've seen it all and, and whatever struggle they're going through in their view is that life is not going to get any better. Life is just going to be miserable. There's that kind of people as well. they overly cheerful and optimistic, and they overly miserable and always like, oh, you know, this is the end of the world. How should Christians feel about this? Whether should we think God as a God who gives both um, good and bad, and should we expect good in this life or bad in this life? Well, I believe that Christian ought to believe that this present life uncertainties are certain. This present life sufferings are certain. That's the first thing we need to know. If you're suffering, if life is not going as planned, as good as planned, um, then expect that. As Christian, we believe that is certain. That's what the Bible says. And however, while we are not supposed to live our best life now, like, you know, we, we're not supposed to live, you know, this is pain-free living, all going to be going to plan. While we are not supposed to live in that way, at the same time, we are not supposed to take the struggle and suffering in life for granted either. We're not supposed to take both the good and the bad for granted. Neither of those we should take for granted, like the second group, like the miserable group. We shouldn't take, like, Life is bad. At the same time, we shouldn't feel like life is good either. I'm going to explain why. So we're not supposed to be in either camp. One that is super optimistic about the current present life or the super um, pessimistic that life is all bad and miserable. Christians should be both. The opening of uh, Daniel 12 say there will be a time of deliverance it will happen. It means this for us. It means that we have been blessed in this life because God says, that, and, and what we read from Jesus says, I've given you power and authority. There's good things that we can enjoy in this life. There's good things that we can enjoy in this life. And some of us, Christian or not, have experienced that good thing in this life. As we give in thanks to God every day for the family and, and family we have, even people around us, around you, even people sitting next to you right now, we can give thanks to God. There's blessing that God has given us. So what does it mean for us Christian when we can see that blessing in our life, the good things that God has given us in this life? What does it mean? It means this, that we should not live our life tight-fisted. We should not live our life for ourselves. We should live our life with open arms. Open arms. Generous. Because we know we're living in the 
time of the end, there'll be suffering still to come and going to get worse. And God says, the end will come and it will be better. And we'll see how that looks like. So what does it mean for us? It means that we have been blessed in this life. Though it's only a glimpse of it, we can live a life that is generous. But if life's been a struggle for you, I understand some of us, life has been a, a series of struggle one after another, disappointment one after another. If life has been like that to you, it means this. We don't have to be miserable. We don't have to be the pessimistic and miserable people. Why? Because our best life is not meant for now. We are not supposed to have that best life now, but it's for the future that is to come. That is guaranteed that is to come. And that's our hope, you see. And Romans 8 verse 18 says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, this is Paul, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you're suffering right now, the Apostle Paul says, it's nothing compared to the glory at the end that is to come, that God has prepared for us. So if you're mourning, if you're disappointed, the Bible says, cry, mourn. Be disappointed. However, don't do that like someone who is without hope. Mourn as if you have seen God has what God has revealed to you, that the hope of glory in the end. So the second thing is, that's the uncertainty of the present lives. It could be up and down. It could be good or bad for you. It could be both. God says we can rejoice in either. In the blessings that God has given us, in the struggle, in the pain and suffering that we may experience right now. Both we can rejoice. Now let's go to the second point of this, is the certainty of our future hope. So the uncertainties of present time, but there's a certainty, certainty of future hope. Daniel 12, verse 2. Now you know why we can't go through the whole chapter. We're on verse 2 right now. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What this verse saying is that there's two groups of resurrections. It's double resurrection at the end. This is not spiritual resurrection. This is physical resurrections. Your body that has rot, those dead people who are rot six feet under, they will be resurrected bodily. Some of us modern people think, ah, oh, that's nonsense. But if you look at the evidence of Jesus Christ's resurrection, God says that will happen to you. Jesus truly was resurrected bodily. And the Bible says he's the first fruit that will happen to the rest of the people as well. All of us, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, this verse says will be resurrected. Everyone will be resurrected, but there are two groups. The first group that are being resurrected are to everlasting life. And the second group to shame and everlasting contempt. Many centuries later, after Daniel, there's another person by the name of John that has similar vision, but a more complete vision than Daniel. And let me read to you from Revelation 21, verse 7 to 8. It says this, The one who conquer, conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the first group, everlasting life. But as for the cowardly, this is the second group, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Most people will experience first death. That is your natural, well, quote-unquote natural death. I, I say quote-unquote natural death because death is not natural. If you look at the Garden of Eden, God did not design us to die, God designed and created you and I to live for eternity. So that's natural. What death is unnatural. That's why when we experience death of someone we love, we experience 
this sadness because we know deep down this is not right. This is not right. And that's God-given instinct to all of us when we experience death, someone we love in our life, we mourn, we become sad because God tells us this is not natural. That's, let's say it's a natural thing, the first death, quote-unquote, all of us will experience that unless Jesus returns before we die. That's the first death. Yet there's a second death for some people. After we all get resurrected at the end, this verse says, there will be people who will not experience death anymore. They will go to what we call everlasting life with the Lord. Yet there's a second group who will now experience a second death, as John says in Revelation. Those are the people who will be sent to shame and everlasting contempt, not in spirit, not their souls, but their bodies, physical bodies, because all of us will be resurrected, bodily resurrected. So disease, divorce, death, all of life's present struggles and sufferings, the Bible says don't get used to them. Don't get used to pain and suffering because they are not permanent, they are not eternal. Don't take them for granted that you're not going to have all this pain. If you have pain after playing badminton like me, God says enjoy it. You're not going to have that forever. In glory, you will not have pain. Enjoy the pain right now. Don't take it for granted. Disease is not forever. Death is not eternal. That's what the Bible says. But life is eternal. John received a vision at the end, of the end, in uh, verse 21, chapter 21, verse 5, in this way. And he who was seated on the throne said, our Lord said, Behold, I'm making all things new. My crooked knee, whatever pain that you're experiencing right now, whatever permanent damage that you've done to yourself, mentally, physically, God says, I'm making all things new. When you're resurrected, you don't need any wheelchairs, no wheelchairs. You don't need any glasses. You don't need those contact lenses will be perfect, our body will be perfect. If you are overly skinny, underweight, you'll be in perfect weight. And good news for those who are overweight, you'll be in perfect weight in glory. That's our hope. God will make everything new at the end. All those who fear the Lord when they die, before the second uh, return of God before the resurrection. Those who believe in Jesus, when they die, instantly in that moment, all the pains are gone. They'll be with Jesus, but in spirit, without their bodies. When Jesus returned, when the, sec when the resurrection happened, we will be united with God in body, in our glorified body, in our perfect body. In a body where you look at the mirror and you're like, man, who's that gorgeous man? Who's that gorgeous woman? Our glorified body will not get old. It will not get weak. I can play badminton five hours straight and not get injured. Whatever you do, you not get tired. It's just our body will be so good and will be renewed every day. But there's more. Daniel 12 verse 3 says this, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This verse tells us there's a job for us. It says those who are wise... So don't be proud in our ignorance. There are some people who are just enjoy their ignorance. God says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And second thing, there's a job for us here. Those who turn many to righteousness, those who preach the gospel, those who share their faith, those who brought people in, the homeless in, those who comfort those who mourn, 
and show them the way, show that Jesus cares for them. Those who turn many to righteousness, God says they will shine like stars forever and ever. I believe this. In glory, when we're with the Lord, we shine differently. We all shine differently. Our brightness depends. We all shine, but our brightness will shine differently depending on how we live our life in this present age. So there's this tension in our scripture. On one hand, our salvation does not depend on our good works, but on the other hand, there's rewards for our good works. We all, if you believe in Jesus, God says you'll be safe. It's not our works that save us, but yet at the same time, God says, while we are living today, there's job for us. Our job is to turn many to righteousness. We should be wise. We shouldn't just live our life carelessly. You know, like, oh, God's going to restore everything. I'm just going to wreck my body right now. I'm just going to, every day I'm going to eat a bucket load of KFC. I'm just going to wreck my body. If I'm overweight, I'm overweight. I don't care, right? There's responsibility as well at the same time. You don't say, if God wants to save people, God will save people. I don't care. I don't have to share my faith. I don't have to share the good news with other people. God says, yeah, there will be rewards at the end. How bright we shine depends on how well we live our life for God's glory. And in, in Philippians, it says that. I don't think we have it on the slide, but in Philippians, it says, how do we shine? We shine by holding out the word of life. We shine by living out the truth of the scripture. That's in Philippians 2 that we, Aaron shared as you opened the service. If you read on, it tells us, Krishna to shine as we hold out the word of truth, as we share the word of God, as we lift out this truth. That's how we shine. And so on one hand, we're going to struggle in this life and it's going to get worse. But at the other, on the other hand, there's this hope that will make us forget all the pain and suffering that we are going through right now. So don't live a life of fatalism, that everything is just awesome and great. Like, you know, I'm living my best life now. No one can upset me. But also don't live in the, in the most miserable way, that no one can console me, let me drown in my tears. We should be both. There's time for us to rejoice. There's time for us to mourn. But in all that, do that with the hope of resurrection, hope of glory that God has promised us. And about that time, about glory, about heaven, John received this vision in Revelation. So in a sense, Daniel doesn't give us a full picture, and then Revelation, John gives us the full picture of how it's going to look like. So this is Revelation 21, verse 26, 27. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unclean will ever enter glory. If you and I want to enter glory at the end, we must be purified. The Bible says not everyone is going to enter glory. As we have seen what Daniel sees, some will go eternal life, others will be shame and contempt, experience the second death. John saw this. He said nothing unclean will ever enter glory. So how can we be cleansed? That's a question. How can we be cleansed so that we can enter glory? Let's read from 1 John the same John, chapter 1, verse 5 to 10, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light 
and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So does our life matter? How we live our life matters? Does our words matter? Absolutely. Because it says God is light. In Him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with Him while, we are, while we're walking in the darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, and He is in the light, as He is in the light, as our Lord Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But yet, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The Bible says, there's only one way we can be cleansed and be purified, that is by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, sometimes we may think for us to be cleansed, to be purified, is, is through this, like, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Do that. I encourage you, do that. But yet, that's, that's not going to cleanse us. So I'm going to fast every day and pray every day. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to sell my, my possessions. I'm going to be generous. Do that. But that's not going to cleanse you. There's only one way the Bible says how we're going to be cleansed and purified. That is by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean? It means this. We need to humble ourselves. Especially if you're high achievers, if you've done so well in your life, you think you can do all of that. You think you, you have enough resources to be generous. See, generosity does not rely on how resourceful you are, how wealthy you are. The most generous people I know are not the richest people. In fact, the richer the people I know, in my circle anyway, not all of them, but generally speaking, are less generous. And it, it brought me to tears all the, every time it happened because those who are so generous to me and my family oftentimes are those who are often less than us. Those who have more than us, a lot more than us, are a lot less generous. So generosity has nothing to do with the resources that we have. Our generosity does not cleanse us, but it's a mere reflection of those who are walking in the light, who knows, who can see. Because when you're in the dark, you cannot see the truth. When you can't see the truth, when you're still in the dark, you live for yourself. You become selfish. You become tight-fisted. It's all about you. When you struggle, you think about yourself. Generous people, when they struggle, they think about others. They think about who else experienced this struggle. When lockdown happened, they don't think about, man, I cannot go out and shop. They think about those who will be impacted the most in lockdown. When you walk in the light, your heart becomes so generous. When bad things happen to you, the first thing that you think of is someone else. Because you think there will be someone else who are worse off than you. So generosity, it's not about how much you have. It's about someone who is already walking in the light. Someone who has tasted the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until you taste that generosity of our God, unless you experience that, you can never be generous. Perhaps you can fake it for a while. You can show generosity for a while because you want to find favor from that person, perhaps. You want to be in the good book of that person. You know, all of us keep a book, right, of who's our good friends, who are not so good friends, who have been generous to us, who hasn't been generous to us. We may not have a physical book, but we have a mental record of that. You know, perhaps we are generous because we want to be in that good book of our friend. But that won't last, you see. You, you're generous because you want something back. But those who walk in the light are generous because they have received something good, not because they want to receive something good. 
So the angel told Daniel that the words in verse 4 are to be shut. Why? Let's look at verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. This prophecy, this vision, close it until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. What does it mean? Why does it shut up the words? Uh, well, before we look too much into that, let me jump forward to Revelation 22, verse 10, to make that verse somehow irrelevant for us. Revelation 22, verse 10. And he said to him, Do not seal up the words now of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So when Daniel received that prophecy, that vision, the angel says, shut up the words, seal it up. But then we're living in this time now in Revelation. It says, don't seal it up. Open it up. So we live, this verse tells us that we are now living in that time that Daniel is seeing and receiving. He said, in that time, this will happen. But for now, seal up the words. That's the opening verse of Daniel. If you jump a few centuries forward in Revelation, it says, with the, with the coming of Jesus and the death and his resurrection, John received this vision, said, do not seal up the words. We're living in that time of the end now. We're so close to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ where all the dead will be resurrected. Now, the Bible says the words of prophecy about the end are now open. The Bible says no one knows, though, when Jesus will return. So do not believe. The easiest way to know that someone is on the wrong track in their reading of the Scripture is when they start telling you when Jesus is going to return. Because the Bible says no one knows except the Father. As soon as you hear someone say, such and such date, according to these numbers and this calculation, they give you all the formula. Over the centuries of Christian histories, one by one, they've proven to be wrong. If you read the scripture, it's very obvious. You say, duh, the Bible says no one knows except the Father. We are not meant to know the time. All we need to know is we're living in that time that the return of our Lord is near. We're living in that time when the prophecy, when the vision is open up. That one day Jesus will return and that time is near. So live your life in such a way that when we are resurrected, when we're in glory with God, we'll shine bright like stars. And we've seen how we can do that with the gift with the blessings that God has given us. To each and every one of us, God give different blessings. For some of us, God give us resources that no one else have. Use that. Use that. I'm, I'm, when, when I say blessing, I'm not talking about material blessing only, though it could be that. But I know looking around, not all of us are millionaires. If you are, you know, come and see me. But... I know, it's so rare. Like, we're living in Australia. Uh, most of our friends are not millionaires. Yet, God says we have been given blessings, each to its own. And we, can, we are supposed to use that God-given blessing for the good of the kingdom. For some of us, you have plenty of time. Not much money, but plenty of time. Use that for God's glory. For others, you got resources that no one else has. Use that for God's glory. Our job is to look at what God has given us and think about how can I use this for God's glory. See, a lot of time, we don't think in such a way, do we? I, when, I, when I worked um, back, back in Sydney, every time we got bonus, the first thing we think about is, naturally, what can I use this? What can I buy with this bonus? It's a bonus, right? So you don't have to get approval from, from the finance minister in your household, a.k.a. wife, for my case. You don't need approval. It's a bonus, man. You don't need approval. Uh, you think about how can I use it for me? 
You think about how can I leave my standard of living when my pace double or whatever. But if you live in the light, if you walk in the light, your mindset change. When you get resources, unexpected blessing, you think about, hang on, what God wants me to use this for? Why do I have this bonus? If you have plenty of time, like, why do I give, why did God give me this time where I'm free? See, those people, I've seen many people um, in the Lord who um, had a freak accident and they are, they are in bed for months. It's not complaint that comes out of their mouth, but they say, I can't work. I'm bedridden. There must be something that God's want me to do. And he start praying for every single person that he met in the hospital. The nurse, he chatted with the nurse and blessed them and prayed for them. He chatted to the, the roommate in the bed. He got to know everyone, the cleaners. Because when someone who walks in the light Something happened to them. They don't think about themselves, whether it's good or bad, whether it's promotion or accident. They think about why this happened to me. What did God want me to do with this? That's how we should live our life. Having said that, Daniel 12, Daniel 11 says, life is about to get hard and it's a lot harder. So expect pain and suffering, but don't be surprised because it's given to us. It's opened up for us. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but it's not the end. Second Corinthians says this. Second Corinthians 5, verse 1 to 5. For we know that if the ten, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, that your life right now is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He said, if your life is so completely destroyed right now, in this present age, know this, that we have a building, a house from God. You see how the wording there, our present life, however good that may be, it's a tent. But what we have in God is a building. It's so much better. A house not made with hands, not temporary, will not be destroyed that God has prepared for us in heavens. For in this tent we groan and longing to put our heavenly dwelling. We want to make like our empire, all the businesses that we build, all the career that we built to be our life. But God says, don't live in such a way. And he continues, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Our life in this age is only the cover page of our story, of our life. I know some of us have, you know, feels like, man, I've, I've lived like 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. Some of us live like 10 years, 15 years, right? This whole spectrum, we think we, if, if you live a long time in your life, you feel like, man, almost, you, you feel sometimes a bit disappointed if you look at your life. It's like, I almost living towards the end of my life. If I look at the story of my life, I have not achieved much. You're kind of disappointed. And usually it's not the older people. Somehow it's, it's the young people. They think like, you know, man, I'm so old. How old are you? I'm 25. Come on. Um, but there are people who seriously think and contemplating death and say, look at the book of their life, like what I've done. They say, like, I've not done much. The Bible tells us all your life that you live in this present age is anything but just a cover page, the title page. The rest of your life is yet to be written. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote, if you know C.S. Lewis, he wrote these amazing chronicles of Narnia. There are seven books. It's it's amazing story. He wrote in the last book, in the seventh book, called The Last Battle, in the famous series of the Chronicles of Narnia, 
and he wrote this. After, after seven books, after the end of a long journey, adventures. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all live happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And that is our hope. When we are in glory with God, we're beginning chapter one. And every chapter will go on forever, and every chapter will get better. Our glorified body, our time with the Lord, it's going to get more beautiful every chapter. And that's our hope. And my prayer is this. If that is our hope, what are you going to do with your life right now? With the resources that God has given you? With the blessing or the suffering that you are experiencing right now? If you walk in the light, you should have this spirit of generosity that you think about others above yourself. Philippians 2 says, count others more significant, more important than yourself. When unexpected things happen, whether good or bad, whether accident or promotion, think about why did I get this? How can I glorify God in this? How can I be generous in this? See, some of us so preoccupied with our own circumstances, we become so self-centered, we forget that God has redeemed us. God has given us beautiful promise. He has tasked us to live a life, to show others that we are in the light. When, when you receive promotion and when you rejoice, you will not win any friends. People say, well, yeah, he received promotion. He's rejoicing. That's normal. If I'm like him, if I have a family like him, if I get a car like him, if I have a promotion like him, of course I'll rejoice like him. You will not bring anyone to righteousness through that. But yet, if in your suffering, in all your disappointment in life, you still rejoice, then you may perhaps bring people to righteousness because then they'll say, if I suffer like him, I'll be miserable. But I don't know why. As he suffer, he's so joyful. He's so generous. He doesn't have much, I know, yet he's more generous than me. What is in it for him? So let us live in that way. Let us walk in the light. Let us pray.